Luke chapter 16, if you'll turn there, continuing our study, going through chapter by chapter and verse by verse, Luke's gospel. So the 16th chapter, the third book of the New Testament. So we look at and continue to Luke's new narrative. We'll begin reading at verse 1 of Luke chapter 16. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll slip you a Bible if you're towards the front. We have some on the front platform. Luke chapter 16 is where you can turn to this morning. been a wonderful study in these chapters as Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's only a few weeks away from going to the cross. So he's really speaking to us. He's speaking to the people. He's speaking to uh, the religious leaders concerning salvation and discipleship and now stewardship as we're going to see this morning. So moving into Luke chapter 16, we read, and he, that is Jesus, also said to his disciples that there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. In verse 5 we read, So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. As the chapter opens up, it does with Jesus speaking to his disciples. But we're also going to see that in verse 14, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, that they are listening in on this story, this parable that Jesus is telling. And it tells in verse 14 us, their hearts, that they are lovers of money. And when they heard this parable being told, that they began to deride Jesus. That is, they literally are turning up their noses at him. They're scoffing at him. They're mocking him. And keep in mind that as Jesus tells this parable, this is a parable of an unjust steward and his master. And we know that as Jesus tells the story of a steward, that a steward is one who is a manager of money. He is a manager of his master's goods. And as you travel through the Gospels, particularly as you look at the synoptic Gospels, we know that Jesus did talk about money. He talked about stewardship one-sixth of the synoptic gospels and 12 of the 38 parables have to do with money manners and with stewardship. And you have this parable that is being told to his disciples, but this parable is put before us here this morning. And it is the religious leaders 
that are hearing it as well. Lovers of money, ones who are covetous, and they are going to be cut to the very heart because of their mindset on what truly is riches, what is the blessings of the Lord, uh, about their own stewardship. And the steward, as we look at this, keep in mind, does not own the wealth. His master does. He is to be found to be wise and faithful. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that a steward is to be faithful. A steward is to manage the money and the goods of the masters for the benefit of the master. He is to do it in a way that secure the future, to do it in a way that pleases the master. But that wasn't the case in the story of this steward that we just read. I heard the other day that we as a nation right now are about $20 trillion in debt. $20 trillion. That's our national debt. I remember in the early 80s, maybe some of you remember this, I was, I was listening to a speech by uh, President Reagan. He'd just gotten into office, and he was concerned because we had hit the $1 trillion mark in the national debt, and he was warning us. Now, I don't think that any of us can imagine or comprehend how much $20 trillion is. I think about 1982 when President Reagan said it was at $1 trillion. That was a while back, but it wasn't that long ago. And I can't imagine $20 trillion. It's doubled in the last eight years. And I do think this, that once you're in that kind of debt, you're not going to get out of it. So our elected officials over the years, over the decades, our national leaders have not been a good steward of the national budget. Uh, We hear of the wasteful spending and all of that. It is not the leader's money. They are to manage it. They are to be stewards of it. And back to our story, it is told here of the owner of the goods, the master, the rich man here. Here's how his steward is wasting his goods, his wealth. And so he calls on the steward to give an account. It means that they're going to close out the books. They're going to balance the accounts. They're going to do an audit here. And we also read that as he's going to see very clearly that the steward has been unjust. He's been wasteful in the master's goods and spending it and handling the money. That He's going to end up being fired as a steward. And I think that as we begin to understand, even at this point of the story, that God will be asking us for an account of our stewardship with that God has given to us. Listen, God has made us stewards, and everything that we have belongs to our master. Every good gift comes from above. And I hope and pray that none of us have the mindset of, well, 10% belongs to you, Lord. I'll give that 10%. I'll be that committed to giving 10% when I can. But everything else belongs to me. Or I'll give you my time on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. But the rest of the week, that, that belongs to me, Lord. And the time is going to come when we all as believers, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 
or the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ as believers, and we will give an account of our lives and of our stewardship, and then we're going to be rewarded for how faithful stewards that we were, what you have done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, let's get one thing clear. We as believers standing at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, we will not be judged for our sins. Jesus took that upon himself on Calvary. That's the good news that we get to proclaim every day, and particularly as we head into, you know, Resurrection Weekend, that Jesus died for our sins. That's Good Friday. He made atonement for you and for me. He cried out, it is finished. Listen, we cannot buy our salvation. It is faith alone in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you can do to earn that salvation. It is coming in faith, believing in who he is, that he's the son of God, who you are, a sinner in need of forgiveness, that he provided as he went to the cross, and that he proved he is the son of God as he rose from the grave, that he conquered sin and death. And our salvation is secure in Christ. It's not going to fire you. But there are eternal lessons for us here today about using your present situation and being a good steward of God. The word steward here, as we read, uh, is used seven times in the first eight verses. And the Lord would have us to think about what I do now has eternal implications. Yes, I know that I cannot take it with me. What has been given to me in this present life but I can invest in the future, and I can send it ahead. And it is a truth that is being taught by Jesus, and we see it taught by the New Testament writers in the Scriptures, and many Christians really don't understand it, and many Christians don't really think about it. Even in our own lives, as we know these things, as we've been students of the New Testament, students of what Jesus talks about in being a good steward, what is written, the truth of God's Word given to you and to me, we can get so caught up in the now. I mean, we all have things to do. We got children to raise and, you know, jobs and businesses and bills to pay and things that need to be done. Yeah, we can get caught up with the cares of this life and we're not always thinking about eternity. But understand this, that the Lord would have all of us to really think and to take inventory to consider what kind of steward am I? over my present riches, the blessings that God has given to me, whatever that might mean for you. These Pharisees are listening in. They thought everything belonged to them. And we're going to see that Jesus is focusing on the unrighteous mammon, which is money. And he's going to place an emphasis on that, particularly in verses 9 through 13. But it's not just about money. Yes, that's the emphasis here. Matter of fact, the Lord desires for us to give. How can we not give to the Lord when he gave us his son? Paul would write to the Philippian believers. And one of the reasons that he wrote to that church is he is thanking them for their, their financial support, for giving to him. And as he closes the epistle, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I think that every single one of us, that we have an eternal account. And so we can take inventory. What is in that eternal account? Have I been a good steward of what you've given to me, Lord, towards the eternal, towards the kingdom of God? Have I been a good, good steward or desiring to be? 
in handling the resources that you've given to me. Because even though Jesus focuses on money here, you see, I think there's an important principle there because how we handle our money now, how we invest it, really determines what our eternal perspective is and priority. Now, if you're visiting with us here today, we do not emphasize giving here at Calvary Chapel. Anybody can tell you that that has been going here, whether you've been going here for a few weeks or for a number of years. And for the 21 years that we have been at church, I have never stood up behind this pulpit and said, you need to give more money. It is our desire that you give freely, that you give willingly, that you give cheerfully, that you give lovingly. And what you give to the Lord in this ministry here, I don't see how much anybody gives because it's none of my business. I am to be a good steward of the final numbers that come in. And we have practices and we do things so that we can do that, that we can handle the money in a way with integrity and good stewardship towards the Lord. I take it very, very seriously to every area of ministry, how it is that we spend the money, what we do. You can ask these guys on staff. I'm constantly telling them, turn the lights off. I drive them crazy because I'd rather put the money in the ministry than give it to the utility companies. And so we do our best to be good stewards of what God has given to us. And I really appreciate those of you who have supported the ministry so we can do what we do. That we can focus on the kingdom of God and giving the gospel message, the radio, the radio program that's reaching you know, the front range of Colorado up into Wyoming. That now on Tuesday afternoons, we're reaching the East Coast now. To be able to do an outreach at Island Grove and, and to reach out to the children, to people in this community, other things that we do, to have the building open. This place is a beehive of activity. That's why I tell you, look at the weekly schedule. There's a Bible study or something going on just about every night. And we don't do it just so we can have programs and busyness. We do it for the furtherance of the gospel. That you can come and be encouraged and be discipled and prayed for. That you can grow in the word of God. And I appreciate so much to be able to have those on staff to help me so I can focus on what God has called me to do as we see more people. And it's wonderful for him, you know, the way that he's working for us to see God providing for us. And we want to continue to look to the Lord. I remember it wasn't long ago that um, I was actually at a, a, a conference and some, somebody was, I was talking to and it just really kind of hit me. They said, you know, I was really convicted by one of the sessions uh, because the Lord really pressed upon me. I was more concerned about my Starbucks budget than about giving to God. Now, I know that we enjoy Starbucks or our McCafes or whatever it may be. I, I get that. But is that all we're concerned about? And we're not looking to giving to the Lord. And not just with our money or resources, what about our time? Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5 that don't work, walk as fools, but circumspectly. That, in other words, he's saying walk carefully and redeem the time because the days are evil. So as we take inventory of our own lives, are we ones that are we wasting a whole lot of time on things that have no eternal value whatsoever? 
And again, I understand that we have families that we raise, we have jobs, and we have those things. We can do it as unto the Lord, and that's important that we do it as unto the Lord. But how do we spend our time? Do we just spend it on worldly things and the pleasures of the world and our hobbies and things like that? That really is the priority. Listen, I love to do things as well, like anybody else. We should be good stewards of the mystery of Christ or the truth of God's word and the gospel. And some of you, many of you are here because you heard us on the radio. You're here because somebody brought you here. You got saved because somebody sat you down and gave you the gospel message. You got saved because there was somebody, a mother, a grandmother, a family member, a friend that was praying for you for days and for weeks and for months, for even years. And the Lord touched your heart. You had somebody come along and encourage you and prayed for you, discipled you, really invested in you. We have opportunity to do that. And what an incredible investment that is when we are involved in ministering to others and giving them the gospel, the truth of God's word, and serving them. Because you see, we're to be stewards of the gifts and abilities that God has given to us, as Peter would write in his first epistle in chapter 4, verse 10, that each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifest grace of God. We are to be stewards of the things of God And I think that it's really amazing that God would allow us to do that. A steward does not oversee anything of his own. He or she oversees the things of their master. And back to our story here, this steward is wasting the master's goods. It's the same word used in verse 13 of verse 15 that we saw last time in the, in the story of the lost son, the story of the prodigal son that went to his father and he asked for his inheritance. And in verse 13, it says that he journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Uh, it means wasteful living is what he did. And here is this one that he wasted his master's goods, possessions. He was one that didn't manage it well. And the steward in a story is called to give an account. And the steward knows that he's in big trouble, that he's going to lose his job, and he doesn't have any good options. He says, I cannot dig, probably too old. I'm ashamed to beg. And then in verse 4, I have resolved what to do. He couldn't change what he had done in the past. This teaching this morning, that maybe you're here, and as you begin to take inventory, have I been a good steward? Or has there been a lot of wasteful time and things? And maybe it's because you just came to the Lord. You know, put it all under the blood of Christ before you came to Christ. And even now that we can go to the Lord and as he's teaching us, maybe you're new to the scriptures because there have been those who have come and told me, I never really considered this. I, I, I was confused by this parable or I'm just learning the scriptures. And now the Lord is really beginning to stir their hearts and that I can move forward in this. I can consider this. We can't change the past. But one of the lessons of this parable is what are you going to do in the future? What are you going to do from this point forward? Are you going to have a heart that you desire to be a good steward, to have the Lord teach you and minister to you these things? 
This one, he knew that this audit would show that he had been a wasteful steward of the master's goods. His options are not good. He now says to himself, I know what to do. He couldn't undo the past, but he could secure the future. And he does it by going to the master's debtors, offering a generous discount if they pay up immediately. We read that in verses 5 through 7. And then they will take me in to their homes when I get fired. Hey, you, you owe my master 100 measures of oil. Write it on your bill. You write 50. And you, 100 measures of wheat, you take your bill and write 80 on it. And the result of that, let's read it again in verse 8. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, sometimes there are those who really want to park on these two verses. And they think, is the master commending him, the steward, for being dishonest? And the sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. And so it's okay and encouraged here that we do the same thing. In other words, that we can be dishonest or have questionable practices. That's not what's being taught here. And even to say that this steward here, that he was being dishonest, there are questionable practices, we can't say that exactly for sure. Because in the Middle East, even if you go to Israel today, when we took the group over, they will tell you when you go into the shops, everything is negotiable. They will have a price on it. What is that you have to pay for this? But, you know, go ahead and bargain with them. Negotiate with them. And that's the way they do things in the Middle East. And sometimes it's very spirited and you, you, know, you can see you know, a guy there in arms waving and I want this and they're going back and forth and pretty soon you, know, you think they're getting upset with each other and they're really not and all of a sudden they stop, they shake hands and the guy hands over a goat and they negotiate it you know, and figured out a price. That's the way it is even today in that part of the world. Here's the thing to remember. The master did not commend the steward in being dishonest or, dishonest or deceitful. He commends the steward for his wife's use of the opportunity. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. What is Jesus saying here? Listen. There are people of this world that they're very shrewd. They know how to make money. They are aggressive in investing. They're good at investing and buying and selling. They work and they think and they plan how to make money to secure their future. Always figuring out how to close the next deal, what next deal to get involved in, how to invest. They thrive against the competition. They do very well in this doggy dog world. That's their priority. And Jesus is saying, look how hard they, they work and strive to get and to prosper and to be rich to secure their future, which is temporary. Storing up that which can be stolen, that can rust, is going to end up decaying. And they are wise in their generation because this generation that we are in today and every generation before us passes away. Sons of the world, they don't see eternity. And you and I, 
who Jesus is our master, we are to live in eternity's perspective and we are to be wise, how much more wiser and to make priority the stewardship of the kingdom of God. Do we as Christians, do we pursue the things of the Lord? The eternal things with the same vigor and energy as the children of this world pursue money and wealth and prosperity. How much more we should pursue because the internal perspectives, the eternal implications, the things of this world are going to fail. Verse 9, read it again as we read, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now in this parable, the unjust steward, uh, he, you know, did as he managed. After the account is closed, after the audit is made, he worked, he plotted, he snuckered things around so that when he is done, fired, this guy would be welcomed into this debtor's homes because of what he did. And as children of the light... Are you, am I, are we being wise servants investing in the riches for the kingdom? Making friends for yourselves, for us. Making friends, I I like to say, for Jesus, for the kingdom of God. Winning people to Christ. Giving people the gospel. Encouraging people to grow in the word of God. To grow in Jesus, their love for him. Discipling them. Encouraging people to live for Christ. And are we doing that? And as we are being welcomed home so that we might, as we go home to be with him, hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you and I investing and laying up treasure in heaven? And it is so tragic to me, and it really is tragic, to see how the prosperity movement and the prosperity gospel, which by the way is not the gospel, has deceived so many Christians to focus on the temporal and the worldly riches. And they're ripping Christians off. Because they don't understand the eternal riches that are ours in Christ. And the eternal implications that this story gives to us. Now, as we go through this story, through this parable, Jesus is not condemning having money. The Bible does not condemn in being rich or that being rich is evil or it's sin or being prosperous in your business, that that's wrong. Abraham was wealthy, wasn't he? He had over 300 servants. And yet he was called a friend of God. David was wealthy. And he was called a man after God's heart. It was Solomon who was richer than anybody that ever lived. I mean, consider this. He had golden sandals and he had the wisdom of God. When we look at the the account of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, a main player in that is Joseph of Arimathea, who was a ruler in the nation. And the Gospels tell us that he was a wealthy man, but he loved the Lord. And he was willing to risk his reputation and his position as a ruler to take care of the body of Jesus and to put Jesus into his tomb that he owned that had never been used. And Jesus borrowed his tomb for three days. But Joseph of Arimathea had a love for Jesus. The Bible says that it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. 
We saw in chapter 12 that Jesus said, beware of covetousness. And he tells of the parable of the rich fool. And he said, that rich fool, that I will build bigger barns and I will store up my goods and I will eat, drink, and be merry. And it was all about him. And Jesus said that he was not rich towards God. That was the tragedy of that man's life. It is interesting in this chapter. Do you have two rich men that are mentioned? Two stories with a contrast. The rich man here that understood the importance of a wise steward, of securing the future. And we're going to see later in the chapter of another rich man who only lived for himself. And Jesus here is using the word steward and faithful in teaching us to be a good steward and a faithful steward of our master's goods. So there will be reward and blessing when we're received up into our eternal home. Verse 9, when you fail, and everything in this world is going to fail. Our bodies are going to fail unless we get raptured. I pray we get raptured. But eventually our bodies will wear out. The things that we have, the possessions that we have, all of it is going to go away, everything eventually. And only what we do with Christ and only what we do for Christ will last. So use your opportunities wisely, your resources, your time, using your gifts, your witness. And none of us, when we get to heaven, when we see the glory of heaven, are going to say, oh, if I just could have invested you know, in one more company in the stock market. Oh, if I could have just made one more deal or if I just had a bigger home, or if I just would have had more money, we're not going to be saying that. And what my hope and prayer is when we go home to be with the Lord, and as Revelation chapter 5, as John saw the one who was like a lamb that was slain, and there you have the church that's singing a new song, that's you and me, then we see what he has done for us and the glory of heaven as it becomes very real to us that we wouldn't think, oh, what I did, I wasted a whole lot of time on things that didn't really matter. I wasted a whole lot of things and resources and time on worldly things. And I didn't really think about eternity. And the reason that I'm mentioning these things is because I know the stupid seduction of the world that will pull us into the now and what's in it for me and how I can prosper. How are you investing in the kingdom? Moms, as you invest in your children, raising them up in the ways of the Lord, what a great investment. As you're providing for your family. As you're teaching your kids the things of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Your grandkids. As you're ministering to the children. As you're ministering in practical ways. That's investing all in the kingdom of God. And I pray that none of us would say, I was given so much. But I did so little. And in verse 10 he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's speaking of money, who will commit your trust to true riches? 
And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, we're going to pick up on this more next time. If you're faithful in the least, you'll be faithful in the much. Sometimes this is kind of interpreted. If you're faithful in little things, he'll give you greater things to do. I think that's a true principle that we have in the scripture. But what Jesus is saying specifically here, if you're faithful in the least, is talking about priorities and is talking about, you know, faithfulness, your character. If you're faithful in the least, then you're also going to be faithful in the much. If you are unfaithful in managing your money, which is called, again, unrighteous mammon, can God trust you with the true riches? Are you managing the money? Or is the money managing you? And unfortunately, to a lot of people, the money is managing them. Are you master over the money? Or is the money master over you? And if God is truly our master, then money won't be mastering us, it will be used to serve God. Henry Fielding wrote, make money your God and it will plague you like the devil. And it's true what he wrote. Jesus is teaching us something here that all of us, including myself, need to take to the Lord. And in verses 10 through 13, he is talking specifically about money. And you guys know you've been around here long enough. I don't like to talk about money, but here's the thing. The scripture talks about it and being wise steward of it and giving to the Lord and what our heart should be in giving. And as I've said, that this is important to us personally, that we're to be good stewards of what has been given to us, but also corporately. And if he can trust us with the least, then he can trust us with much. If he can trust us in what he's given to us, he can trust us with true riches. And I don't give so that I can name it and claim it, that new boat and Cadillac and all of this. But I give because I want to invest in the kingdom of God for his purposes, for his pleasure. And we are stewards of God and it all belongs to our master. And he's calling us to be faithful and wise in what God has given to us, starting with our finances, because how you handle your money is going to determine your eternal perspective in a big way. You know the saying, put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your heart is. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we can say, I love you, Lord. And I want to see you work, Lord. I want to see people come to the kingdom. I want to give to you. I want to invest in the kingdom. How can I not do that? Because you gave me your son. You gave me the very best. And as you give, you know, one of the things you're going to find out, we're finding that here at the church. As we give, as we're giving the ministries, as we're investing in the kingdom, we're finding out we can't outgive God. I want to keep investing in the kingdom. Yeah, we're going to have needs. In the last service, you couldn't even move in this place. And people are saying, are you going to get a bigger building? I don't know. That's up to the Lord. Because, again, I really believe that where he guides, he provides. And if he isn't providing, then I'm not teaching this well enough. We're not being good stewards. We're not trusting in him. We need to hit our knees and continue to pray. Because I'm going to leave it to him. 
He's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He just needs to sell a couple cattle. And he will provide, and he always has. He's not going to let us down. But we don't have to get into campaigns and everything else and thermometers in the foyer area and things like that. We just go to the Lord. We pray. And if the Lord's hand is on us, which it is, he will provide for us. I don't want to get away from that. I want to trust him. And Lord, I want to give to you. We don't know how much longer we have to really be one that is a good steward in the days ahead. The Lord's going to come back. I don't know when he's going to come back, but for all of us, that we want to say, Lord, what time I do have, I want to be a wise and faithful servant. And it all belongs to you. And I want to give to you. I want to be a good steward. I want to invest in a kingdom that's going to last forever. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for, Lord, these lessons that are so important. And, Lord, you don't give us these lessons to condemn us. But, Lord, that we can consider. And any conviction that comes is to draw us to yourself. That, Lord, that we may consider this and, and understand that you desire for us to be good stewards of what you've given to us whether we think it's much or little. And Father, I pray that we would understand, all of us, because there may be somebody that's here at this service or listening on live stream or going to listen on the radio later, maybe on our website, live stream, that you've never made a commitment to Christ. That Jesus, he gave his life for you. That you can be forgiven. Because all of us are sinners. He came to say, take care of the sin problem. He went to that cross and died for you because he loves you. And it's the only way to forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross. And he was buried. For three days he rose again. He's alive. He proved who he was, the son of God. He proved what he did. He conquered sin and death. Salvation is not found in anything else or anyone else. Only Jesus. And it's a free gift. As you come in faith, you recognize that you are a sinner in need of the Savior of the world, Jesus. And you give your heart to him. You surrender your life to him and call out to him. Because whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right where you are, sincerely saying, Jesus, I come to you. I confess that I have sinned. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. And that you're alive. You are the Son of God. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Help me to know you. Help me, Lord, to walk with you, to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.